You're listening to Rosie on the House. Good morning, Arizona homeowners. We are in the outdoor living hour here at Rosie on the House. It's the first Saturday of the month. We start now our third day into March. And the first Saturday of the month means we're talking what's fresh from the farm, local, in-season, produce, meats. All sorts of fun stuff, yes. And to do that, we always bring in Julie Murphy, the spokesperson, spokeswoman for the Arizona Farm Bureau. Yes, um, and in fact, because our two topics today are garlic and wine, I won't jump too far ahead, but if anybody goes to fill your plate we and searches for garlic, we ha- we even have articles about the health of garlic. So. Which is actually quite, there was a lot of things in here I didn't know about, you know, the antioxidants that are in garlic. You can use garlic to treat skin sores. You just, I mean, cut it in half, put it right on there and... Hold it for as long as you can stand it. That's supposed to help clear it up. Yep. Yeah, it's amazing. And uh, it's neat to know that we've got some garlic farmers here in Arizona on the local level. Any of your retailer or small farmers always grow garlic. And so if you have a CAA, uh, um, a bag that you get on a weekly basis, you're going to have garlic in it, especially right now because they're harvesting. So, And we've brought in a local garlic grower to talk through it again. Why don't you go ahead and introduce our our special guest on the line? Yes, his name is Frank Martin uh, with Cricket Sky Farms. He's been uh, growing and farming all his life. And in fact, the first time I met him, he was at the table and he was looking through his one of his seed catalogs because the guy can grow just about anything. So garlic for him is probably an easy entry point. But Frank Martin with Cricket Sky Farms, and I think we have him on the on the phone. Yes, I'm here. Thank you. So um, we're curious about what garlic varieties you're growing this year. You know, the the garlic variety that we're growing this year is called Purple Queen, and it's it's an heirloom type. It is kind of purplish on the outside, which makes it like a very, very robust type garlic. It's got, you know, it's a very flavorful garlic. And we're actually growing it for native seed search, but we grow some for our own selves and to sell at the farmer's markets, and to deliver through our CSAs. Now, why why is it more garlic grown in Arizona? And researching this, it's a hardy enough vegetable that you could grow it uh, up to about, it seemed like about 5,000 feet elevation, and down as low as Yuma, where our big uh, one commercial grower in the state is. It would seem like you would see more garlic. Is it just... What's your what's your take it on actually, that, Frank? Okay, well, it grows very, very well. But the thing about garlic is it takes like nine months to make good garlic. So, you know, you could have a baby in that amount of time. So I think that maybe that's the big thing about it. There's a lot of uh, competition with uh, garlic from China, uh, you know, because you would have to sell the, the local garlic. Or... So the season the is kind of long. Yeah, in fact, I kind of studied that, Frank. Uh, correct me if my if I'm wrong. Sometimes you plant it in the fall, and you're not really harvesting it until the spring. Is that correct? That's correct. It's it's like nine months before it makes a good bulb and, and dries out and everything. So it does take quite a while. So maybe uh, there may be farmers that will grow a little bit, but they don't want to you know grow acres of it. 
uh, for that reason because it takes a long time to get your investment back. They have to have the heart and passion of a Frank Mark Martin with Cricket Sky Farms. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, well, there's a there's a lot of the small uh, farmers uh, and all, all sizes of farmers at the farmers market and stuff that grow garlic. Uh, but you know, we, we actually sell it like at different stages. So we'll sell it kind of like green green garlic, which is you know like a big fat you know green onion looking thing, and and we keep selling it till it's bulbs and. Then, you know, we dry it out, uh, and then we usually have some all summer long from the, the garlic that we dry out and, and keep refrigerated. Well, and the thing I like about garlic is its versatility, especially if you're an in-home chef and you like to use it a lot. And if you are part of a CSA, community-supported agriculture, you're always in season going to have at least one clove of garlic. Well, not clove, but uh, a bunch of garlic in your bag. So it's a real valuable asset to have when you're doing the CSA. Yes, it is, for sure. Well, Mr. Martin, why don't you talk to us about y'all's CSA? It sounds like y'all have a quite a robust platform. Uh, you know, a, a CSA, which is community-supported agriculture, which is basically means that every week, this is the way that we do it, every week you're going to get like eight items in your basket or your pickup point of the things that were that are in season at that particular time so you know like this time of the year maybe it's carrots cauliflower broccoli and you know five five other things so you we usually do that where we have delivery points uh throughout the state all the way down to tucson and up to flagstaff and then uh several uh csas probably uh so in the phoenix you know phoenix metro area where we deliver to every week. And usually what happens is they go to the, the distribution point with their bag, and uh, these are it costs $25 a week for the share, but they go to the distribution point with their bag, and it'll say, like, take one head of cauliflower, one bunch of beets, one bunch of carrots, and so-and-so like that. So they'll pick up eight fresh items uh, every week. And Frank, you have an interesting, I mean, kind of historically, you're still a young guy, but historically you were kind of considered one of the ones to really launch CSAs on a pretty big scale here in Arizona. Yes, we were probably one of those that actually did CSA. Uh, We started that through Prescott College, I'm trying to think around uh, 1999, along in there. Um, so that was probably some DSAs that were very active in Arizona. Now, uh, every farm probably a CSA, even if they have a very small one of five or ten members. Very interesting. And you, in addition to the CSAs, y'all actually had a couple farmers markets today as well. Yeah, we're at the Gilbert Farmers Market today and uh, also the Pinnacle Peak Market, which is up in Glendale, and then the downtown uh, public market. So you guys are very busy. And usually on at the Gilbert Market, I run into you, Frank, so you kind of yep, take your seat true. there. Yes. Uh-huh. Yep. I'll be the guy wearing the hat. Yeah, so it, as they say, at some of these really good farmer's markets, you're going to get to meet the farmer that's growing the stuff, and you can quiz them on all sorts of crazy questions. And somebody like Frank will pretty much be able to answer most of them. (laughs) 
Yeah, we, we'll, I'll answer any question. Um, I'm usually always at the, the Gilbert Farmer's Market, so if a person wants to come by, say hi. We, you know, we give people advice on how to grow their garden if they're having problems, and you know, we sell seedlings and all kinds of stuff. We're, we really want to help people out. And some of the CSAs will always include at least one recipe weekly in the bag. Do you do that, Frank, with yours? We actually have a place that you go to where we have archived all of our recipes. And you can go in there and you can get a recipe or actually multiple recipes for anything that we've ever had. Kind of like fill your plate. If you, yeah. mm-hmm. you, you can go there and, by the way, Frank's on fill your plate. So <laughs> he's one of our buddies. Now, Romy, have you ever raised garlic? That's one crop I have not, and you know... I never have either. The thinking about it, when you go to a nursery to pick out your seeds, I don't ever recall... Seeing it as a choice? Seeing garlic as a choice. I I never knew anything about it when Frank says it takes nine months, and, and you sell it in different stages. Why would somebody want it in the very early... Immature state. Do do the do you cook with it at that state, or do you have to wait for it to mature out to the a particular dried state? No, you you can cook with it at the green stage. Uh, you know, it's still strong. It still has a very garlic flavor. You would just sort of chop it up like a green onion, uh, or some people actually braise it a bit too, little olive oil and stuff. Huh. Yeah. Now, how long once it's dried out will it last? Well, you know, garlic won't last. Excuse me. Garlic won't last a very long time uh, if it's just laid out. So you would have to refrigerate it, like put it, you know, in your uh, refrigerator or something like that or someplace where it's cool. Uh, But it can last from, let's say that you harvest it and probably it's long in there. And then you put it in your refrigerator. And uh, if you wanted to replant it again in in the fall, you could do that. So it can last for several months if it's taken care of it, but it has to be pretty cold. Otherwise, it'll, you know, it'll start to dry out or it'll try to sprout. Uh, so it's, uh, it's a little finicky like that. We're on the line with Mr. Frank Martin of Crooked Sky Farms. We've got Julie Martin in studio here from the Arizona Farm Bureau talking garlic. It's a part of our new home maintenance calendar each month. You know, we've got our house to-dos and then we've got our landscape and gardening to-dos and we picked a something that was in harvest or that was tied in june is milk well that's national dairy month so that tied in um april i didn't know this at the time but the national garlic day is april 19th but april is easter so we had already put eggs into april (laughs) and so it's tied into something current and garlic is one of the ones listed as something that's coming out of the ground right now and you can get it locally and fresh so we brought in a local grower to come join the conversation. And if you've got a question, it's one 767 4348 You can text to 411-923 or email to info at rosieonthehouse.com. All of this that we're talking about, you'd mentioned Fill Your Plate, Julie. It's fillyourplate.org. Correct. It's our online directory of direct market farmers and ranchers. We have three da- uh, searchable databases, including recipes, farmers markets, and then, of course, the direct market farm products. Which is a great tool if you're looking for something local and farm fresh. You can put in your zip code. You can select the item. Uh, and the list goes on. Peas, beans, rice. Everything. Garlic. Uh, garlic. <laughs> exactly. Although I will say rice isn't on there. Uh-oh. <laughs> we don't grow rice in Arizona. That's one, one crop that we don't grow. 
we're sitting here talking about all the things you can do with garlic at feelyourplate.org. You'd mentioned the searchable database. There is one of the answers that comes up. Here's why you need to eat more garlic. Uh, it includes reasons for it. it may help decrease the risk of cancer, the risk uh, the risk of cardio cardiovascular de- cardiovascular disease disease the eye thing right right and then you've got twenty recipes on how to work it into your daily diet and it's not like it's all one genre of food we were talking during the break. It's popular in Cajun food. You have a lot of it in Italian food. But this here, we've got Tucson's best London broil. That's one of the ways I learned how to cook it in Louisiana. Is you just take the claw, clove and you make a cut in your brisket and you yeah. just stick the whole cloves yes. all over. And My brother does that when oh. he he cooks. And, uh, Romy, your dad, Rosie, just your best, your buddy that even has a garlic tea now that's getting pretty intense uh, yeah i mean he sent me a 40 minute video on this garlic based tea and i mean he puts <laughs> he puts it in his hair he rubs it on his skin he <laughs> drinks it <laughs> i don't know can, can you can you conduct a business meeting when you're so infused with, <laughs> with garlic, garlic. <laughs> i wouldn't think so but who am i <laughs> i do like garlic though in fact, today's show, where we're talking about garlic and wine, I'm thinking, this evening, I'm going to go have some red wine and pasta. Well, one of my favorite places in the whole world to go, which I confess is outside Arizona, is Taos, New Mexico. And I learned their toasted garlic that they serve with the brie cheese on a cracker. I love that. With with a nice, heavy little Cabernet it is a nice way to spend an evening. <laughs> it is so nice. And this is a Cabernet from Cochise County. We'll get into that in the oh, next segment. Yeah. Okay. Yep, we have some amazing wines, but back to the garlic. Um, there, it is very diverse. They say it's easy to grow, but what we've learned from Frank Martin today with Crooked Sky Farms is, I guess it's a, a long growing season, kind of like cotton. Cotton takes about that long to grow from the time you plant it to harvesting, but it's uh, very versatile. It's healthy, and our chefs like their garlic. That's for sure. Well, Mr. Frank, do we have you on the line still? Yep. Yes, you do. We're gonna. Wrap up here real quick on this final segment on garlic. We've got a caller on the line who wants to know about drying the garlic once it's harvested. What's the process? We'll introduce you to Shirley and have a Farmer Frank here yes. direct you. Yes, Hi, this is Shirley. Doing? Am I on the line? Yes, ma'am. Okay. So uh, last year I started planting some garlic, but I used the grocery-bought garlic, and when I harvested it, I look at the YouTube, and uh, some of them said to dry it in the sun for a day or two, um, and then um, then I kept the, the stock, and then um, uh, a few weeks later, I was going to use it, and I found that it all turned mushy, and so then this year, I called and ordered some uh, garlic from a garlic store, and they told me no because they irradiated it, and so it doesn't grow. What is the proper method, Frank? We're short here on time. Hank, go sure. ahead. So, yeah, the proper method for like drying it is, of course, that when it's ready and it, you know the you'll, you'll have some of the outer leaves of the garlic that will start to dry a bit. So you, that's the point you dig them up, and there's sort of that little critical area or time that you dig them up. Before, because you don't want it to stay in the ground too long, or, or that skin starts coming off it, and that skin is kind of protective to it. So it's a matter of just going out there and checking it all the time. 
and you know so you'll get a big bulb out there and when you see when you feel that the bulb is is nice and big enough and the skin is still on it very well then you'll dig it up and what we do is we always we never put it like directly out in the sun uh, we'll put it on these racks, and then it, it'll be shaded in an area that gets a lot of breeze going through. But, you know, you could probably do that on your back porch where it doesn't get, like, direct light on it. But just put it on some type of a screen so it can get ventilation all the way around it. And you'll let it dry. You go out there and check it every once in a while. But it'll take a couple weeks to really dry out really well. And you wow. can always just buy it from Frank Martin and the other farmers <laughs> yeah. that grow garlic. That's right. You can do that, too. And if we were going to plant it ourselves, Frank, I read in your bio here, do you all sell the heirloom seeds as well? Yes, we do. We sell uh, some heirloom seeds because, you know, we grow a lot of seeds now for Native Seed Search in Tucson for their seed bank. And uh, we uh, keep a lot of that. If you're talking about garlic right now, uh, you know, we'll have garlic for a while. Um, we, we won't start harvesting it probably very seriously for another month or so. And then, you know, we'll be digging it up to dry out. And we'll have some of that to sell, of course. And the ideal plant time to plant garlic? It's really about in October. Late. So it'll you know it'll be a little more in the cool weather time of the year. That October November is a really good time to to grow it. As the pumpkins are coming out, the garlic's going in. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's right. It's right. It's it's always something. And Frank's one of our Farm Bureau members, so thanks, Frank, for all that you always teach us about farming. <laughs> Thank you, Julie. And Frank's out today at the Gilbert Farmers Market. They've also got uh, product from Crooked Sky Farms and the. Pinnacle Peak and Downtown Farmers Markets as well. They've got a CSA. You can learn more about them at crookedskyfarms.com if you have a love for local produce but don't have the time or the area or space to grow. That's a great way to stay connected and support your local community. Eat fresh and local. And on their website, they are very proud of the fact that it's very heirloom, non-GMO, very very organic so congratulations for y'all's success and appreciate y'all's time here this saturday morning we're coming back talking arizona wine industry garlic's stinky and delicious garlic's healthy and nutritious and it tastes so fine gary just produced this here during the break Pungent and so kicking. Garlic grid with beef or fish or chicken gets me in the mood. This is perfect. Well, coming up in the 9 o'clock hour, we have been working with Jan Diotri to follow the Arizona Farm Bureau with a local recipe. Now, we had mentioned some of the ones that y'all have at fillyourplate.org. There's over 20 uh, pasta and goat cheese garlic. Uh, this one is hearty hamburger stew. Garlic roasted summer squash, garlic cheese fingers. I like this one, citrus marinated grilled turkey. That sounds like one we've got to try. It, it All of the recipes on Fill Your Plate are excellent, and a good chunk of them are coming from our farm and ranch families here in Arizona. So that's what makes our recipes unique. So, of course, you're going to have a little bit of the comfort food, but one of our farmers, all of the recipes she gave me are our veggie recipes. So we have a great diversity of recipes on Fill Your Plate, and the ones that I've tried— the ones that, that have, they've fed me on, they've been wonderful. And we were talking 
So Jan's recipe will come up in the 9 o'clock hour during our open line hour. Just a quick three- to five-minute interview we'll have with her. I don't know exactly what they cook, but I do. I did pick up the tip that you know, peeling garlic and getting it prepared. She had a trick where you microwave it for about 40 seconds, and that just makes it pillow pill away. Pure. She has so, Jan has so many neat tricks in the kitchen that she's someone to pay attention to all the time when she's on the radio or on TV or in the newspaper. <laughs> all the mediums. And we'll have her here uh, within about an hour. But another trick that we do when we're trying to peel a bunch of them, because we throw a lot of garlic cloves into our crawfish boils. Now, if, I, if we're doing more than one, we peel it. But if we're doing just one one basket of crawfish, I don't even bother peeling. I just throw the whole clove in and the boiling water and everything. But if you've got to dip it multiple times, you want to keep that paper out if you're doing five or six or seven baskets of crawfish. Well, you take the garlic, garlic clove in the palm of your hand, the pointy side in the palm, turn it upside down and smash it on the table. Then you scoop. It breaks all the cloves individually. Scoop that into like a Tupperware bucket and put a matching bucket on top and just shake it real hard. And that will separate the skin from separate the clothes. Because we, we don't microwave anything. Yeah, like your dad said, every time on this hour, we all get hungry because mm-hmm. we're talking about such great food. And so many of these great rich foods, that we, comfort foods, you know, your pastas you'd mentioned earlier, your gumbos that have a lot of garlic in it. What's garlic without a glass of wine? Exactly. And especially some of our award-winning Arizona wines. And to talk Arizona wines, on the line right now, we have Brian Pedmore. Predmore. Predmore from Alcantara Winery in Cottonwood. Good morning, Brian. Good morning. How are you two doing? We're good. And, Brian, I'm so proud to talk about this family because uh, they're part of the Farm Bureau family. And the other neat thing I want to mention about Brian, he's the current president of the Arizona Wine Growers Association. The Arizona Wine Growers Association, Arizona Farm Bureau, we shoulder together on a lot of things and including promoting the wine industry. So that's why Brian is the perfect one to talk to today, not only because he is a winemaker, but because he's leading a great organization here in Arizona. So, Brian, tell us about Alcantara Wine. Oh, Alcantara Wines. We, uh, we basically uh, started up in 2005 uh, uh, with my uh, mom, Barbara, she uh, wanted to get into the wine industry. She has family in California that uh, owned a winery in Paso Robles, and she loves the uniqueness of wine and the art and the culture of it. So she wanted to uh, start doing wine in Arizona. So it took her a couple of years, but uh, in 2005, we found a nice little property up in Cottonwood along the um, confluence of the Verde River and Oak Creek. Uh, and we started off with six acres of uh, vines, and we're now at probably about 12 to 13 acres on that property. And Alcantara Vineyard is one of 106 farm licensed uh, wineries here in the state of Arizona. So it's uh, neat to identify the fact that we've got some amazing wine growers in the state of Arizona. So yeah, and we, we surprise a lot of people that uh, when they come up to our wineries or go down to the wineries in the Wilcox 
Kinoida area, we surprise them. They go, we didn't know there was vineyards in Arizona. And uh, where the vineyards are located are probably pretty much uh, about hour, hour and a half outside of either Phoenix up north or uh, like an hour and a half outside of Tucson towards the Wilcox and Sonoida area. So, so they're pretty easy to get to, and this Arizona's wine industry generates $3.3 billion in total economic activity, and the Alcantara Vineyard is one of those that's contributing to our economy. And that's very impressive considering yeah. how new the wine industry is to the state. When, right. Is that part of the $23 billion? Correct. So, and how... When when did the wine industry, Brian? You'd mentioned two thousand five for your family vineyards. How how long have we been growing wines? They have uh, one of their statistics, oh. Brian, and help me with this one. The first license uh, for a winery was issued in nineteen eighty three. But of course, you probably had to be growing uh, wine grapes before that. Any other data on that? Um, yeah, the first one was, I believe, Sonoida Vineyard. Uh, down in Sonoida, and uh, I think, uh, as you said, it was uh, 1983. Correct. Yeah, Yeah. 1983, and uh, they basically started uh, with uh, U of A, um, started the vineyards down there, and probably the, the... the vineyard didn't, or the vineyards and wineries didn't really start to get going until the late 90s. And now and they've then, just uh, taken off. Yeah, since when Alcantara started in 2005, uh, especially up north, uh, most of the vineyards started around 2003 to 2006 up here, and we've been growing steadily uh, really fast up in the Verde Valley up north. So. And, uh, and uh, down south, a lot of people were planting, starting to plant and uh, grow down there also in 2005, 2004. And according to your Arizona wine growers statistics, 600,000 visitors visit our, our vineyards and tasting rooms annually here in Arizona. And if you ever make it um, to our listeners, if you ever make it to the Alcantara Vineyard, you're just going to open it opens up into this beautiful area, and some of our Arizona visitors even float down the Verde. Brian, help me on this one, and then they'll stop off and have their wine and cheese at your place, correct? Yeah, we have a unique thing. Uh, we uh, partner with a company up here called Sedona Adventures, and they uh, we do a water the wine. And what that is is uh, the people drive up, to Alcantara Vineyards, and since we're along the river, uh, they park their cars. Uh, Sedona Ventures, which is a kayak company, picks you up at our vineyards, drives you up the river, and you uh, float down uh, the river. Uh, It's probably about an hour, hour and a half uh, trip. You float down the river, and you get out at Alcantara Vineyards at the confluence of those uh, two rivers. And then you walk through the vineyards, and you go up and do a wine tasting. Then you can leave whenever you want. We want you, especially at Alcantara Vineyards, we want you to sit, relax, and enjoy the day so, among the vines. And that's a good segue to ask you, so tell us about your wines. What what are you guys producing? So um, we have mostly reds. 
our biggest crop is Merlot, but we also have Cab in Zinfandel and Mavedra on the red side. Uh, we, we do about, I think it's 16 different wines. So uh, most of them are reds, like I said before. And then we have three whites that we produce up there, which is Sauvignon Blanc, Pinot Grigio, and Viognier. Well, let's talk a little bit more about the, the growing process itself. How long does do the vines take to get established? Uh, what are your harvest times? What varieties are we planting? Oh, so um, we, we uh, tend up here mostly to the uh, kind of Italian-style wines. Um, but the growing season is pretty much right now we are pruning our vines, uh, getting ready for them to push, which is when they start to, uh, budding out. Um, we kind of are delaying them to push or watering them right now because we usually get a late frost. And if they push and we get a late frost, uh, that can de destroy our crop for the year. So we're, this is like a critical time on the growing season because, as you know, uh, our weather was very warm this winter. And uh, this past week, we've been down in the uh, 30 degrees and freezing uh, stages. So uh, it's not hurting the vines now because they're dormant. But our growing region is basically starts in March, April. And then it uh, pretty much goes through the summer and we start harvesting at about August, September, and October. August, September, October. So that's a lot faster than the nine months on garlic. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but it'll take a vine several years before it becomes a good producer. Um, yeah, it usually takes three to five years uh, once once the rootstock's planted into the ground. It usually takes about three to five years to produce a good wine. And the harvest season is intense. I had the privilege of, this is a couple falls or autumns ago, hung out with the Graham family, Jim and Ruth Graham of Golden Rule, and it is a busy, intense time during the harvest, but it's so exciting. Yeah, Arizona's unique in the monsoon season. That's pretty much at harvest season. And when you harvest the grapes, you don't really want it to rain because uh, the bricks level, which is the sugar level of uh, grapes in the wine, you pretty much want around like 24 degrees bricks. So when you harvest, you get the uh, that's pretty much where you harvest that, and you want to starve the grape, uh, the grapevine, probably about a month uh, before you harvest of water. That's where it gets and it draws the nutrients from the soil, and that's where you get the flavors of your wine. Very interesting. Well, we're talking with Brian Pedmore of the Alcantara Vineyards in Cottonwood, Arizona. We'll have more with him shortly, and along with Julie Murphy of the Farm Bureau. It's one triple eight seven seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you. Text questions to four one one nine two three, or you can email info at rosieonthehouse.com. 
There are spices and vegetables that you can grow. Some are under the ground, some grow tall. Though they all have their qualities, this you must know, that the garlic is best of them all. I'm going to add garlic to all my cooking from now on. <laughs> we had a great half hour at the beginning of this hour with uh, Frank Martin of Crooked Sky Farms talking garlic. We're now joined by Brian Pet- Predmore of the Alcantara Vineyards in Cottonwood. And I was doing a little bit of the numbers. That still blows my mind. Of the $23 billion industry and agriculture, I mean, you've got some big players in there. You have cattle. You have lettuce. You have carrots. You have melons. Your dairy. Yeah. That wine in a basically less than a 20-year time frame has become 13% of that. One of, based on the research that I do and constantly embedded in the industry, two of my theories with the wine industry, some of this is anecdotal, that it has the best value add to our ag crops, and it also has the... Um, but, Amongst our growth in certain areas and certain commodities, it's got one of the steepest growth uh, curves because people are getting into it. We're adding more acreages of wine grapes and stuff like that. So it's one of the industries that's really growing, and it's really a contributor contributor to the fact that we can call this a $23 billion industry here in the state of Arizona. And Brian was mentioning as we were going to break to get the flavors for your wine— you starve the plant of water so that it pulls nutrients out of the soil, and that's where your flavors come from. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, also, uh, since uh, the wine industry, it's it's actually a low water use crop too. So, which is really good for Arizona since we are in a desert. So, um, that's a good use of we only use water probably four months of the year to water the grapes and then all the other times uh, uh, we don't uh, water it and they sit dormant that's over a the hu- winter months huge stuff, so. thing that you point out brian because water and labor are two of our most important resources in agriculture so if we can grow a crop that's a low water use crop then that's just 10 times better for the industry yeah hey. And you're right on the river, so you're probably adding a lot of that right back to the water table. Yes, uh, we don't draw from the river, but um, yeah, it's we don't uh, use that much water, and then when we do, we yeah, we add it right back to the water table. Yes. So is it? I would assume the summer months is maybe when you're doing most of the watering, or when is the when are you watering your vineyards? Pretty much, uh, we start when they start blooming, probably uh, in April, May, June, and then July we start, uh, or July, August, we start uh, starving them of the water so they they can get the bricks levels up and um, um, we can uh, pick them or harvest them later. That's the second time you said that, the bricks leveled up. What does that mean? So the bricks level is the measurement of the sugar in the grape. So um, the, the wineries, pretty much, they uh, harvest around 24 bricks, which after you ferment uh, the wines, it kind of gives you the alcohol. And it's 
like if it's 24 bricks, I I usually do it by um, if we pick it at 24 bricks, it's usually around 12 to 13 percent alcohol uh, for the wines. So speaking, and that's kind of where you want the alcohol level to be in reds. So speaking of the wine, where can we get? Obviously, we can come to your tasting wine or room and then select the wines that we want to buy from you. But what other options? But for your wines and the wine industry in general, can we go to get Arizona wine? Well, a couple stores like Alcantara is where really boutique. We all, we only do about two thousand cases a year, which seems like a lot, but it, it, it's not. So most of our wines you can get at, like you said, Julie, at our tasting room. Uh, we do. We are in a bunch of restaurants in the Sedona. Birdie Valley area. Um, on Arizona wines, you can find them at uh, Whole Foods, BevMo, uh, AJ's, a bunch of uh, retail stores. I believe Safeway carries, they have a local section. So uh, if people are looking for it, they can always ask too, because some of the, some of the stores can purchase uh, Arizona wines and get that for the con- the consumer that wants local wines. And Fill Your Plate has a list of wines, too, uh, of our winemakers, so you can always go to Fill Your Plate to Fill find your, out. FillYourPlate.org. While you're there, you can go to azfb.org, Arizona Farm Bureau, and become a member. It's, what, associate members, 50 $59 bucks a year? $59 a year. 60 and bucks a year. Farmers have to pay a little bit more, but we do a little bit more for the farmers. So, <laughs> and they're happy to pay it. Our our membership is very loyal and dedicated, and like, like we always like to say, it's one big family. Julie Murphy, we appreciate you coming in. We have April next, and yes. we're going to be talking eggs with the Higman. It's going to be, uh, what is that? Is that April seventh? What's the first Saturday in April? I think it is. We'll April have at 7th. least one of the Hickmans here. I'm sure. <laughs> they're local. 